Well, thank you, Brother Greg, and those that help him and lead us in worship week in and week out. I appreciate you all being here this morning. Thank you, Tanya, for that beautiful special, and thank you, men, for helping take up the offering. I got to mention a couple of things, and here's here's the kind of the quandary we're in. Um, when we get to the end of the service, some of you are ready to leave before we've even given the invitation. And so, if we take too much time at the end of the service to do some announcements, and some of you are going, let's go, let's go, the Methodists are beating us, and you're in a hurry to get out of here, and you don't listen. And then there's things that try to get communicated that aren't getting communicated. So, I'm going to take a few moments this morning, and uh, before we get into Joshua 3, so I hope you have a Bible and join me there. In Joshua chapter 3, there should be some notes on the back of a bulletin that hopefully you got when you came in. Those notes will be behind me um, on the screen as as well as in front of you if you want to fill those notes in. So we're going to be in Joshua 3 plus the bulletin. But before we get there, I need to mention a couple of things. There's some pieces of paper back here on the wall. And what they're for is this year we are going to go to the Kaimi Baptist Association's youth camp um, with Summit Camps. And it's coming up in June. And we are going, and many of you know, I lead the Wednesday night youth Bible study. Your youth, I lead the youth program on Wednesday nights. And so I'm looking at these teenagers, and I know traditionally this church has done things, raised money to help offset the cost of the teenagers going to camp. And so I'm looking at these young people, and I'm saying, what do you want to do to try to raise money? to offset the price of camp. And so I gave them several options. The option that they have started with is to offer up their time and their service for a block of six hours to the highest offer. Now try to be careful of the language because I don't want to mess with the optics. So what you have back there is... Every person that said they would be willing to do it, I have their name. And then it's a silent auction type format, okay? Some people call it a labor auction. You can call it whatever you want to call it. We are helping support kids that are willing to work and put out effort to go to camp. So their names are on the back of there. There's even a couple more that Van put up that doesn't have a name. If you are a student here this morning and you didn't get your name to me, or maybe you're just now hearing about it for the first time, I would welcome you to go back and write your name and say, hey, I'm willing. I'm willing to don't or give up six hours of my time for an adult or someone else that would say, hey, we will do that. And so what happens is, is so let's say David Malfris decides that he is going to get Simon, um, which may be a relation, may not be a relation. He's going to get Simon to work for him. So David would just write down his name and how much he is willing to offer for Simon to work for him for six hours. It's a silent auction style. So at the end of tonight unless there's been some mutiny or uproar at the end of the night, whoever has the highest offer is the one that um, is saying, hey, I will pay that. And the way, the way I want it to work is, is that you get with that student and then you work it out when that student comes and works for you. Three hours in a section, an hour in a section, however it works for you. But I don't want you to render that money to the church on behalf of that student until that student has, commit, or has fulfilled their commitment. Does that make sense? So if, if, you, if you're the highest person that offered for Simon's services and Simon doesn't show up and work, I don't want you paying for Simon if Simon didn't do what Simon's supposed to be doing. There's also some life lessons that are involved here. So that is back there. Uh, silent labor auction, I think, is a 
correct way to put it, but that is back there. And it's just a way for us as a church to help these young people offset the cost of going to camp. We're looking at about $150 per camper this coming summer. So if you would be willing to support them and help them, that would be a great thing. Yesterday was an amazing day. Dennis and or Denise and company um, did a tremendous job helping out with the ladies' retreat. It was a one-day retreat. If you are a lady and you weren't here, you missed out and... Shame on you, because you could have been here, and you weren't here. So that was a great time. I appreciate all the men and women that were here that helped out with that. And then this coming Saturday, back on both tables, there are these handbills, these flyers, if you will, for the men's retreat. And I'm looking at a bunch of men that I would love to see you come back this Saturday for the men's retreat. It's a one-day deal, $25. Lunch is provided. We'll have some light breakfast that will be here available for you. The worst thing is that you get a day of no mowing grass, no honeydews, and no listening to all the things that you need to get done. You can come and men's retreat. So that is coming up. I want you men to be here. We need fellowship. We need more of men coming together and doing manly things. And so that is coming up, and I hope that you will be here. I'm going to tell you it's a choice. I can already, I can already assure you that there's a lot of men in this room that you've already said, well, I would like to be there, but I've already got this going on, and I've already got this going on. And I'm going to tell you, we're going to talk about it in a minute, but I'm going to tell you it's a choice. You are going to choose where you're going to be at on Saturday. And I hope that you'll choose to be here on Saturday. And you may say, well, how old? I don't care. As long as you are using the bathroom on your own, come on. I don't want to change diapers and I don't want to sit there and try to be baby food. But as long as you're, as long as you're past that stage, come on. We would love to have the time. So the labor auction for youth camp, the ladies retreat, thank you for that. And then the men's retreat, I hope that you will come and you will bring somebody with you here. We have 188, 168 chairs sitting in this sanctuary. So that means that we have, and we have more chairs. So that means you can bring five men with you and we will still have space for all of you all to be here. So I hope that you'll be here this Saturday. All right, Joshua chapter 3. We've been walking through Joshua looking at what it looks like to be successful in the eyes of of God. There's lots of things in this world that will tell you that, hey, in order to be successful or the marks of success in this world is possession or money or fame or accomplishments, academics, all of these things the world wants to say. This is what it means to be successful and yet we as God's people, we're looking around saying what does it mean to be successful? What does it mean to be successful in our lives spiritually? What does it mean to be successful as a church? What are the marks? Do you go off of attendance? Do you go off of money? Do you go off of buildings? Do you go off of entertainment? Do you go off of excitement? I was listening to a pastor just this last week and, and this may mean nothing to you but he had two 5,000 watt amps and he blew them blew both of his amps in a sound check now if you're going to blow two 5,000 watt amps you are doing the kind of stuff that you only get a false creek I mean the kind of stuff that makes your ears hurt because the music is so loud and I was like what are you doing he said oh man we, we get after it we get after it well, that's not a mark of spiritual success, just the fact that you can blow up sound equipment. I mean, that doesn't mean that God was there, but sometimes we have this idea, well, you know what, if we have a lot of people at church, the church must be doing something right. I'm going to tell you, a circus gets a lot of people there, and that doesn't mean they're doing anything godly. So what does it mean to be successful in the eyes of God? So I've walked through, uh, so far in this book of Joshua, looking at some different uh, keys that Joshua gives us, that God gives us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that gives us keys on what does it looks like to be successful. We started talking about God's Word. We're not going to be successful as a church. You're not going to be successful as a believer in Christ. You're not going to be successful in your home, in your life, in your personal walk, apart from God's Word. Then we talked about listening. We talked about action. We talked about following last week. And this morning, I want to talk to you about commitment. A 
about being committed. It is my conviction that we or you, we collectively, you individually, we will not be successful in the eyes of God unless we are committed to God. I know the story's been told many times in many different ways, but the version that I like the best has to go something like this. You have the chicken and the pig. And they're walking down the road. And the chicken looks at the pig and goes, you know what, we should start a restaurant. And the pig goes, you know what, that's a really good idea. I'm tired of working for the farmer. I'm tired of the, the day-old bread. I'm tired of the slop. I don't want to do this anymore. That's it. Let's go into business together and let's start a restaurant. And the chicken said, great, we'll go 50-50. And he said, in fact, I'll tell you what I'll do. My part, I will provide the eggs. And the pig goes, okay, well, that sounds pretty cool. And, and, and the chicken says, well, and your part, you're going to provide the ham. You know how the story goes. The pig stops and goes, no, I don't think I want to do this. Well, why? Well, how come? He said, well, it's not 50-50. See, you are involved. I am committed. And I'm concerned that we have in our day and age, we have lots of people in the church that are involved in the church, but they're not committed to the kingdom of God. They're not committed to the plan that God has for your life. You're not committed to the calling that God has put in your life. You may be involved, but you aren't committed. And so this morning, I want us to look in Joshua chapter 3. We're going to start in verse 14, work our way down through verse 17. And I just want to ask you the question. Are you committed to God? I'm not asking if you're committed to this church. I'm not asking if you're committed to a religious organization. I'm not asking if you're committed to yourself. I want to know, are you committed to God? Because I believe that commitment is going to be vital and is vital to spiritual success. In fact, here in Joshua chapter 3, we get a picture of what commitment looks like in the lives of the Jewish people. So in Joshua chapter 3, and starting in verse 14, notice as the narrative continues on. If you remember where we were at last time, we are here in Joshua chapter 3. The people have come to the brink of the Jordan River. They have been prepared. Joshua has said, here's what's going to happen. The priests are going to take up the ark. They're going to go and they're going to step into the Jordan River and God is going to do something miraculous. You are going to follow the priest and we're going to the promised land and we're going to take the promised land. God is giving us success. So notice what happens. Verse 14. So when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan with the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people. And as soon as those bearing the Ark had come as far as the Jordan and the feet of the priest bearing the Ark were dipped in the brink of the water. And then it kind of gives us a little uh, afterthought or a post-thought here, a pre-thought, a mid-thought if you will. Now the Jordan overflows all its banks throughout the time of harvest. So it kind of gives us this caveat to say now this is kind of a big deal. So when the priests come up and they put their feet in the water, it's not like just coming up and there's a little bit of a stream. It's not coming up and there's a little water running off the the roof or the, the gutter of the house. I mean, we're talking about deep fork at flood stage and here they go carrying the ark and they just step right off in the water. Verse 16. The waters coming down from above stood and rose up in a heap very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zarathan. And those flowing down toward the sea of Arabah, the salt sea, were completely cut off. And the people, the people passed over opposite Jericho. Verse 17, Now the priests bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on the dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. And all Israel was passing over on dry ground until all the nation finished passing over the Jordan. 
And I realize that we're sitting here in our 2021 and we just look at that and we're like, uh, we just read it and we just, uh, we just go on. We do that so many times with history. It doesn't impact us because we weren't there. We weren't involved. It, it doesn't have the same grip that other things usually do. But I just want you to try to put yourselves in the mind of the people. God has said, you're going there. And they're like, okay, God, we're going to go there. And he said, yeah, and you're going to go there today. You mean we're going today? Yeah, we're going today. And he said, well, but do you not understand that it's overflowing this bank? We got men, women, children. We got possessions. We got sheep. We got all this stuff that we got to get across there. There's no way we're going to get across there in one piece. There's no way we're going to do that. And God says, yes, you're going to do that because I'm telling you you're going to do that. And they're like, well, how are we going to do that? He says, I've got a plan. God says, I've got a plan. You are going to take the priest. You're going to take the Ark of the Covenant. They're going to walk into the water. When they walk into the water, God is going to do something miraculous and you're all going to get across on dry ground. So they're all sitting there believing God's said he's going to do this so that means God is going to do this and then and then they just don't keep talking about it they do something about it there's a step in our daily lives that we have to demonstrate our commitment to God it's one thing to sit around and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it and talk about it. And I know it's bad English, but this is the way that I think about it. Sometimes we have to stop talking about it and start being about it. And sometimes we have to think to ourselves, okay, so God has told us what to do, but at some point we're going to have to do what God has told us to do. And that is where the question of commitment comes. Because if you're not committed to God, then you're not going to do what God is calling you to do. But the reality is, is every single one of us are doing something. But are we doing what God has called us to do? So how is it that we get commitment from this passage? Well, you see in your notes, just two quick points for my time this morning. And the first one is this. They were committed because they were convinced. They were committed because they were Convinced. What do you mean, Spence? How were they committed and how were they convinced? Well, it tells us back up there in verse 14 that the people set out from their tents. The priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant before the people, they said, okay, God says we're going to cross the river. God says we're going over there. So guess what we're going to do? We're not just going to sit around and say, okay, well, when God does it, then we will move. God says to move. God says to go. God says... When we do what God tells us to do, then he will do what he has promised to do. And so what we're going to do is we are convinced that God can do what God said he's going to do. And so we're going to move. Sometimes we sit around so much saying, well, I'm not sure how God's going to do it. So I'm just going to sit right here. And I want to assure you this morning that God had already promised them success. And God had given them instructions to follow. If you look in the previous uh, passages, the previous verses up there in chapter 3, you will see God comes to Joshua and says, Joshua, this is what I want you to do. Tell the priest, this is what I want you to do. And then have the priest tell the people, this is what I want you to do. Everybody knew that God says, cross the river. The question is, would they would get up and start walking to the river? God has promised us things today. He has promised us his word would not return void. He has promised us that he loved us so much that he sent his only son to die for us. He has promised us that when we be faithful to him, he would be faithful to us. And yet we have scores and scores of Christians today that say God has made these promises, but we're going to sit in our blessed assurance waiting for God to do what he said he was going to do. And I wonder if God's not saying, get up and go do what I told you to do. We need to see more people get 
saved. We need some more people. Turn from their sin and turn from their wickedness. Turn to Christ. Turn in repentance and forgiveness and confession. How are they going to do that? Just sitting in here? That's going to happen? Or do we need to go out there and tell them about Jesus and tell them, hey, you're a sinner. You're going to go to hell apart from Jesus and you need to get right with God before it's too late. At some point, we need to ask ourselves a question. Are we committed to God? They were committed because they were convinced. They knew that this God had told them to do this. They knew what God had told them to do. And they said, you know what? I'm so convinced that God is God and God has told me to do this. And I'm going to do it even though I don't understand it. God had led them to the brink of obedience. But at some point, they had to decide, we are going to step in the water. How many times have you gotten right to the brink of obedience and you stopped? How many times in your life have you gotten right there and God said talk to him and you didn't talk to him? Or God said don't do that and you did it. Or God said do it and you didn't do it. How many times have we gotten right to the brink of obedience and stopped short? Because we were more committed to ourselves and more committed to our ideals and our wants and our pursuits and our desires and the things that make us happy. More committed to the opinion of the people around us than we were the pleasure of God. When I look at this passage and I see this imagery, these priests... Most Bible scholars would say there's probably about four priests and they're carrying this Ark of the Covenant. It's got two poles on either side. <clears throat> Excuse me. The Ark, most people would, most scholars would tell you weighs around 186 pounds. And so you have four guys and they're carrying, each one has about 46 pounds on them. The four of them are carrying it. Now they're dignified. We talked about this last week. They're dignified. They're set apart. They have all these restrictions and all these rules. What it means to be holy, what it means to look the part, act the part, everything up. And so they can imagine Joshua's getting, Joshua telling them, okay guys, pick up the Ark and then just start walking into the water. And they're like, well, what's going to happen when we hit the water? God's going to take care of it. You mean I'm just supposed to start walking into the water? and just trust that God is going to do what God is going to do. Yes, and they had to be convinced that whatever was going to come next, God had it under control. And we struggle with that. We struggle with that step of obedience. But I want you to see here in the text, I want you to see, notice in verse, four, notice in verse 15, it said, as soon as those bearing the ark had come as far as the Jordan, the feet of the priests bearing the ark were dipped in the brink of the water. Verse 16, the waters coming down from above stood up and rose up in a very far away at Adam, the city that is beside Zareth, and they flowing down toward the other way, it stopped. And this idea that he tells us is, is that as soon as the priest hit the edge of the water, Water coming from this way stood up. Sometimes people have said the city of Adam was about 20 miles away. Stood up in a heap. The water going that way stopped. So in other words, he stopped water going in both directions. Flowing and flowing that way. Stopped the water. Why? Because the priest put their feet in the water. In other words, and you see this there in your notes, their action led to God's revelation. Now I want to qualify that, but I think it's something that I don't want you to miss. And I don't want you to misunderstand what I'm trying to say. Their action led to God's revelation. I believe that there are times, and I think I can support this scripture. There are times that God is saying, I am ready to show myself to my people if my people will just obey what I have to tell them. And so it's not the fact that I name it and claim it. It's not the fact that God is waiting on us to act. It's the fact that God is going to show himself faithful through 
our faithfulness to him. Let me give you an Old Testament example. You go back to Genesis 12 and you get to the story of Abram. And God comes to Abram and he says, Abram, I want you to get up, you and your family, leave all your extended family, go to a land that I am going to show you. He didn't give them a dress. He didn't give them a GPS coordinates. He didn't give them a city, a state, a county. Didn't tell them anything. Say, get up and just start walking. And as Abram was obedient, God showed him the way. The revelation was unfolding through the obedience of Abram. Think about Paul in one of his, I think it's the first missionary journey. He gets up and he goes and he gets right to the edge there in Macedonia. He's like, I want to turn back and go through Asia. But God said, no, go over to what is modern day Greece. And as they were being obedient, God was showing them step by step where to go. The priests, they saw the revelation of God. They saw the action of God. They saw the promises of God. They saw the, the truthfulness of God, the faithfulness of God. Once they took the step of faith. And I wonder how many times God is sitting there looking at his people and his church and he is saying, I am ready to show myself faithful. Once you act in faith. And they were committed because they were convinced. We don't have a regular program here in the life of the church of door knocking. Door knocking is a Maybe a dated term, but it's the idea that people would go out and do visitation. Used to on Tuesday or Thursday nights, people would get together at the church. You would get in groups, teams, twos, threes, whatever it was, and you just start going knocking on doors. And you just knock on the door and you just say, hey, I'm so-and-so. We're from so-and-so church. We want to invite you to church. We want to talk about you. Do you have a relationship with God? Do you already have a church home that you're going to? And you're starting a conversation, evangelizing, inviting people to church. And you may say, well, that sounds like not a, that doesn't like a bad idea. Why don't we do that? Because... <laughs> People aren't convinced that it works. We have become convinced that there's better ways to do it. There's more trendier ways to do it. We've become convinced that it's not necessary to grow the church. We've become convinced that it is not part of the Great Commission. Telling people that they're sinners. Telling people that apart from Christ they're going to die and go to hell. Telling people that hell is a real place and it's eternal just like heaven. Telling people the truth from us who they are and who they are apart from Christ and then what they can be in Christ. We have convinced ourselves that that's not really that relevant anymore so we stop talking about it. Now it's self-help and now it's self-motivation and five tips to be a better person. Because we've become convinced that God's word is not still applicable today. I want you to see with me as these people show their commitment to God by their actions before God and because they were convinced then they were committed and because they were convinced and they were committed they took those steps of faith. I want you to see here in the text that the health of the church is linked to the commitment of the body. The health of the church is linked to the commitment of the body. In other words, when those priests said, I believe God and I'm going to follow God, then what happened? Then God worked, then God acted, and then what took place? Everybody was able to follow. The health of the body is a direct link to the health of the church. Sometimes we miss that. Sometimes we come to church and we don't think that you really make that big of a difference. I'm going to tell you that every set of eyeballs that I'm looking at matters. Every set of eyeballs 
matters. Every nose matters. Every set of ears matters. Every single person here matters. Why? Because God has brought you here to be a part of the body of believers. And so therefore you have a part to play. You have input to give. You have influence to share. You have encouragement to offer. Every single person has a part in the body and the health of the church body will be linked to the commitment of the body. So if the church comes together and you know what? We can come together on Sunday but you know what? We're not really worried about this Christianity thing on Monday. We're not really worried about a devotion or a commitment to the kingdom of God. We're not worried about our feelings before others. We just come and we're not that committed. We're not going to be that engaged. And it's easy, isn't it? You're busy. I get it. The preacher wants to do one more thing. I get it. The preacher always wants me to come to church. Does he know I have a life? I get it. The preacher just thinks that I just don't have anything else going on, but it's just come and do whatever he wants me to do at the church. I get it. But I also know that your commitment to this body is a reflection of your commitment to God. I don't mean that hatefully and I don't mean that to be rude. I'm just going to tell you your commitment to the local church that you're a part of is a reflection of your commitment to God. And I'm not going to make something legalistic and say, well, that means that you've got to be here every time the doors are open and you've got to do this and you've got to do this and you've got to do that. I'm just going to tell you. Your commitment to the local church body that you're a part of is reflective of your commitment to God. What does that say about many of the churches around us today? I'll move on. But then you get down to verse 17. It says, Now the priest bearing the ark of the covenant of the Lord stood firmly on the dry ground in the midst of the Jordan. I want you to see with me this morning that their commitment was seen in their actions. Their commitment was seen in their actions. They just didn't sit back and say, oh yeah, we're committed to God. Oh yeah, we're committed to God's purpose. Oh yeah, we're committed to going and taking the promised land. Oh yeah, we're committed to doing everything that God has told us to do. Oh yeah, we're committed, we're committed, we're committed. Their commitment was seen in their actions. These priests, these four men as I already mentioned, they each got about 46 pounds on them. They're, they're, they're carrying this Ark of the Covenant. They're all dressed to the nines, if you will. They take off and they walk down to the river. And once they walk down the river, the water plugs up and stands up in a big old heap. The water keeps going that way and dries up and they are standing in the middle of the riverbed. It tells us on dry ground and they are standing there and they are holding it. There's nothing in the text to indicate that they had to stand that they just set it down. There's nothing in the text to indicate that they got there in the middle and they go, oh, this thing's heavy. I'm just going to put it down. There's four men standing there in the middle of the Jordan River holding the Ark of the Covenant of God because in that time, the Ark of the Covenant represented the manifestation or the presence of God. And so as as if God was standing in the middle of the river holding the hand saying, water, stop. Used to, you used to have the road crossing guards and as the kids were coming to school and they were walking to school, you'd have those individuals and they'd be there at the roadways and they'd have the little stop sign and so as the kids would be coming, the road guard would, would see that and they would walk out in the middle of the road and put that stop sign and make sure traffic stopped in both directions so the school kids could, could make their way on to school. And so it's as if that's what God is doing. God, His presence is being uh, pictured in the Ark of the Covenant and He's standing in the middle of the river and He is saying, Stop! But it's happening because the four priests are holding the Ark of the Covenant. Now I realize that some of you are like 46 pounds. That ain't nothing. Do 46 pounds for six hours. See what happens. In fact, let's just try this. Not, not right now. Let's just try this when you get home. Take your hands and go like this when you get home. And do it for six hours straight. And let me know about it. I'd love to hear about it. 
I would love to hear how you did it, and it was no problem. I'm going to tell you, your two arms ain't going to weigh 46 pounds. You can't even hold them up for 15 minutes. And these four priests are standing there in the riverbed holding the Ark of the Covenant, staking their stand for what God had told them to do. In other words, they stood where it didn't make sense. You can imagine they are sitting there... And they're looking and there's that big old great wall of water. I, I, I come back to Moses and Charleston Heston and the Ten Commandments movie. And I'm thinking about in that imagery when they're walking across. If you remember that, it was like a big old giant wall of water on this side. A big old giant wall of water on that side. And they're walking through. I can just imagine these priests. And they're standing there and they're like, did you, did you see that up there? Do you realize that that thing breaks loose? Do you realize what's going to happen to us? <laughs> We're going to get wet. <laughs> How about, how about this? How about we just take the Ark of the Covenant and cross the river and get to the dry side and then just help coach people along and say, okay, you can do it. Hurry along, hurry along. No, no, no. They were standing where it didn't make sense. And they were stood, and they stood when it didn't make sense. You know, there's things in our lives we're saying, I'm willing to do it as long as it makes sense to me or it makes sense to my neighbor or it makes sense to everybody else around me. What happens if God tells you to do something and that doesn't make sense to you or anybody else? Or better yet, what happens if God tells you to do something that no one else has ever done like this before? What happens if God tells you to do something that you've never heard about before? What happens if God tells you to do something because God tells you to do something? They're standing where it didn't make sense. They're standing when it didn't make sense. Can you imagine? The scholars will tell us that there's probably at least anywhere from 600 to 800,000 people. Plus men, women, children. It was just a whole bunch of people. And they're all walking across. Well, how wide was the crossing? I don't know. I just can't imagine trying to get 600,000 people to go from this creek bed to that creek bed. I just can't imagine getting that many people across. That's going to be an undertaking in itself. And then you can imagine the priests are sitting there. I'm going to assume that many, some of the priests, and this is just my uh, thinking out loud, some of the priests might have been married. They might have had some possessions. They may even have had some children. And they're thinking about how does my stuff get across if I'm sitting here holding the ark? But their commitment to God was seen by their actions. God told them to stand there and they went and they stood there. They stood there until they were told to move. If you skip back over to chapter 4 and verse 15, we see the end of it. Now we're going to come back and catch the middle part next week. But it said in verse 15, the Lord said to Joshua, Command the priest bearing the Ark of the Testament to come up out of the Jordan. So they walked in the Jordan. The Jordan stopped in both directions. They stood there in the Jordan holding the Ark of the Covenant. And they stood there until they were told to move. Not until they got tired. Not until they had something better to do, not until they got distracted. They stood there until they were told to move. In fact, it says, verse 17 of chapter 4, So Joshua commanded the priests to come up out of the Jordan. When the priests buried in the ark of the covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, the souls of the priests were lifted from the, up on the dry ground. The waters of the Jordan returned to the place and overflowed all of its banks as before. These men came down, and you could see by their actions what they were committed to. They stood where it didn't make sense. They stood when it didn't make sense. They stole, they stood until they were told to move. And you see this lived out in the life of these people. Not just in the priest, not just in Joshua, but in the people that walked across the dry ground. You know why they walked across the dry ground? Because someone was standing in the gap. You know, it could have been easy for them to go, well, I don't know about this. Larry's not that trustworthy of a person. What happens if Larry lets his Ark of the Covenant sag and it dips into the ground and God gets mad and here comes the water? I don't know if I want to put myself in that position. Well, maybe we should wait until concrete is 
created and maybe we should wait till the bridge company comes in maybe we should just sit here and wait and have a have a meeting about it and form a group let's let's do a committee and let's talk about the ways that we can get across this river without trusting in Larry Curly and Mo it wasn't a group thing it was the entire nation of Israel were convinced that God was going to do what God said he was going to do. They were convinced in who God was and they were willing to show their commitment to God by their actions. You see there in your notes, sometimes today, sadly today, we've got more... Sadly today, many are more committed to the comfort than to Christ. We have too many people like that, both in the church and out of the church. If they're more committed to their own comfort than to Christ. So we have this situation going on all around us where we have people that say, I'm committed to the church until it gets uncomfortable. I'm committed to the church unless it rains. I'm committed to church until it snows. I'm committed to church until... I don't want to be committed to the church. I'm committed to the church. We'll have a good excuse not to be committed to the church. I'm committed to God until it becomes a sacrifice. And then you know what? God wants me to be happy. And he wants me to have all the health and the wealth that I can imagine. And so God would never ask me to do anything that might be uncomfortable. So I'm just going to sit back and I'm going to do what I want to do. Because we become more committed to the comfort than to Christ. I want it. Put something in your hearing and then we'll start to close here in a few moments. When we think about the world around us. I was down in Atlanta this last week and this black preacher from up in the northeast, he started talking about hypocrisy. And you think you're going to be in a gathering, two to three hundred preachers in this gathering. You know, he starts talking about hypocrisy and you're like, oh, you know, you're not, you're talking to the wrong people. And he just started laying it out to the point, I don't know if you've ever, you've probably never been there before, but after your feet start bleeding, your toes have already been chopped off, your feet have started been bleeding, and now he's just taking body shots at you. And you just want to climb up underneath the table, get up under the pew and just say, just give me a break. Just give me a little time. And he just kept going on about this hypocrisy. And he was talking about the hypocrisy starting in the pulpit and the hypocrisy starting in the church and how we are never going to reach a lost and dying world as long as we are comfortable and we are uh, compromising with hypocrisy amongst us. And he was bringing this whole point that as long as I'm being a hypocrite and Van's being a hypocrite and I don't say anything about Van's hypocrisy and he doesn't say anything about my hypocrisy we just go around thinking well nobody notices until you have lost people coming in the back door and they're like ha we're not going there we can get more authenticity at a basketball game than we can in a church house and so they don't come in here and I'm just sitting there going and he made this statement he said people will follow an example before they will follow an excuse and I don't know how it hits you but when he said that I thought how many times have I made excuses for my lack of obedience to God how many times have I made an excuse for my lack of commitment to God. How many times have I made excuses about my lack of faithfulness to what God has called me to do? And he says, people will follow an example before they follow an excuse. So in other words, that my children aren't looking for daddy's excuses. They're going to follow daddy's examples. The church. The church. It's not looking for its leadership and for those men and women in the church. They're not looking to their excuses. They're going to follow their examples. The lost. 
the lost that are outside these walls. They're not looking to the church's excuses. They're looking at the church's examples. And this isn't just a Spence issue. This is a First Baptist Church Wellston issue. What are we committed to? How do we know? How do, how do we know if we're going to be successful? How do we know if we're living successfully today? I, I put three things down there and then I'll get off your toes. Number one, you will succeed in what you are committed to. You will succeed in what you are committed to. I wish, I wish they sold slim and trim in a pill. <laughs> I, I wish, whatever Evan takes on a daily basis, I wish they, I could get my hands on that. I mean, I eat the same thing he does, and yet <laughs> my body treats it differently than his does. <laughs> I don't know if it's an age thing. I, I don't know if it's a responsibility. I don't, it's work. Okay, he says, okay, yeah, whatever. Smart, Ellie. It's an age thing. <laughs> but you know, you wish that sometimes, and so people think, well, you know, I'm going to short circuit. I'm just not going to eat this one piece of pie. I'm going to tell you, this didn't happen by one piece of pie. <laughs> happened by more than one piece of pie and stopping and I tell myself not eating one piece of pie is not going to solve the problem (laughs) so go and have the piece of pie because it's not going to make or break me (laughs) you all can relate we have this idea that we think that well you know what it's just one little step it's just one little thing it's just one little incidental thing incidental thing but you know what one little one little one little one little one little adds up And the next thing you know, we will succeed in what we are committed to. So if we're committed to ourselves, if we're committed to a job more than we are God, if we're committed to relationship more than we are to Christ, if we're committed more to a hobby than we are to the kingdom of God, if we're committed to everything else outside these walls and we're not committed to God, then we will succeed at what you are committed to. And not just that. But success and faithfulness are not synonymous. Success and faithfulness are not synonymous. Just because you're being successful does not mean that you're being faithful to God. And just because you're having success in the world does not mean that you're being faithful to God. I don't care if you have a brand new boat, a super nice house, and all the money in the bank. If you're not being faithful to God, I don't care what that success is. Satan benefited people. And yet we live in this world today that we think, well, you know what, as long as the church is booming, that means the church is being successful. That doesn't mean the church is being successful. And just because we see a person that's selling books, that's speaking all over the country, that's name is known all over the place, doesn't mean that they're being faithful. We've got too many examples in the recent past of people like Ravi Zacharias and others that just because they're being successful doesn't mean they're being faithful. And my prayer for us as a church is not that we'd be successful in the eyes of the world, but that we'd be faithful to God. Why? And this last one we're done. Commitment is a choice. Because commitment is a choice. You chose this morning where to spend your time at. You chose this morning where you were going to be at at 11.56. And you're going to choose this evening where you're going to be at at 6.30. And you're going to choose on Wednesday where you're going to be at at 6.30. And you're going to choose next Sunday where you're going to be at at 10 o'clock in the morning. You're going to make these choices every single day. And I want you to know that commitment 
It's a choice. The people here in Joshua, they gave us an example of what it looks like to be committed. They picked up the ark. They walked to the water. They walked in the water. They stood in the midst of the bank because they were committed to God. So what does your commitment look like to God today? Would you bow your heads with me?